Let's begin. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I'm excited because we're going to just keep going through Micah, and um, I pray that you'll be not only attentive and helpful, but those who are online watching later, that you will feel like you're really getting a hold of understanding and engaging in uh, one of the minor prophets. So let's pray before we begin, shall we? Holy Spirit of God, come fill us. Holy Spirit of God, come make your word come alive in our hearts and in our minds. Holy Spirit of God, help us to apply this passage and these scriptures to our own lives. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you were doing. And Lord, bless the folks who are here listening this morning and bless those who will watch later online. I just pray, Lord God, that the word, your word, Lord God, would come alive. And we thank you, Father, and we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay. So I'm just going to um, review a little bit, only because it's an interesting thing in starting in Micah 5, because Micah 5, 1 in the Hebrew Bible is actually put into um, the, um, I'm gonna take this off if I may, <laughs> into the uh, last into the previous chapter. And when you begin to look at this, that may make sense to you. But I need to back up a little bit because 4.1 through um, 5.15 kind of go together. And um, I know that my colleague, uh, academician, Neil did a great job last week unwrapping this for you. So indulge me as I go back and I just reiterate a couple of things so that when we move into, especially verses, two through nine, excuse me, that they make sense and we see the continuity. Okie doke. All right. So there is a bridge between verses nine and 13 in chapter four. And if we look at that, it carries the theme that's continued throughout Micah. And that is one of distress and then deliverance. They are um, both disobedience, but God is redeeming them. You have this theme that just continues on and on, and we see different scenarios of that. So I taught a few weeks ago, and we saw the, you know, the kind of the self-promoting, um, taking advantage of other people type of thing, and God's warning, and and they're having a difficult time. Someone asked yesterday, so to whom is Micah speaking? And he's speaking to uh, Judah and Israel. He's speaking to all of God's people, and he, in the midst of that, will pull out some certain people and talk about their behavior or what's going to happen to them. But it's for all of, all of Israel, all of the people of God to come to their senses, okay? So the thing that I want you to look at is if you open your Bible and you start in verse nine of uh, chapter four, and I just want you to see the word now, now, which is immediately, which is present, which is ongoing right now versus then or later or a time is coming this is now and so you see this now why do you cry aloud why are you so confused by what's going on so that's that now word there if you just go down to verse 10 and it talks about a woman in labor i'll talk about that later and then for now you shall go forth from the city and camp in the open and you shall go to babylon 
And so there's another now. There's a third now in, in verse 11. Now, many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be profaned and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. So now, these are the things that are going on that are beginning to unfold, that they are in the midst of and seeing. And then chapter 5, verse 1, begins with, again, now. And as I said, in the Hebrew Bible, verses uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the one that we tend to see our verses um, put together. So in the Hebrew Bible, verse 1 of chapter 5 is still part of chapter 4. But for us, it's the beginning. And probably as, as the Septuagint put it together, it was to bridge, to bridge the woe and what's going on in the now piece to understand here's where you are and then to segue into the verse two. So you begin with that. Now you are walled around with the city. Sieged is laid against you. With a rod they strike the ruler upon the cheek. So that's the verse one. Considering again the present tense tone of what's going on. And then to talk about um, the ruler. And so the ruler is like the king and who is that? We know at the time of Micah's writing that you had Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those were the kings during the time that Micah was um, speaking, that he had that prophetic voice. We also know at the same time, Isaiah and Hosea and Amos were peers of his. So there's a lot of folks out there trying to get um, the people of God in the right direction. And so He's calling them and he's talking about the rulers, that a rod is going to slap his cheek. Now, Old Testament, New Testament, the avoidance of shame was huge. It's not like we say now, oh, shame on you, or we look at a dog, shame on you for doing that, or a child or somebody else. We kind of get over that. Shame was avoided at all costs. If you were to slap a person, that is a shameful act. But this is more than that and what he's talking about here. When he's saying um, a, a rod will strike your cheek, that is a force behind that. That is a blow behind that. That is something significant. And Micah wants the people to know it's beyond, it is shame, but it's even beyond that. It is a forceful hit from those who are rising up against Israel and they are against the people of God. And they are doing that because God is allowing it. Why is God allowing that? Because he's grown weary of trying to get them to obey him. And it's like, these are logical consequences of you're not following me. You think you have it together without me and you don't. And we'll look at that a little later in this text. But does that make sense? You're with me? Okay. All right. So the now for us is that um, set in there and then the speculation, we don't know what king it is. It may have been Hezekiah, and I like Hezekiah because later he reforms. He gets them all to, he gets the people of God, he gets them to reform their behavior and to um, reform what's going on in the temple. He does some really, really good things. We don't know which king the speculation is, is that it's Hezekiah. So I'm just telling you what people think, all right? Um, so then let's move now. Now that we've gone from you're going to get walled all around with a wall and siege, siege is laid against you and you're going to get struck down and then you transition. 
Now we're back to Christmas, are we not? Because here are the familiar words that we all know. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Now there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And the first is to know they name Ephrathah because there's more than one Bethlehem. And this is a tiny, tiny little town. Insignificant in terms of power, in terms of placement, in terms of any of the things that uh, we might think are important. But you're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. I always think of Blythe. I don't know if you've ever been to Blythe. I grew up, used to, we used to go to the Colorado River. Blythe is one small puppy town, you know. It's like it's hardly on the map. And so I always think of Bethlehem, kind of like Blythe. It's out there. But, uh, but it's important to know because again and again, our culture, the culture there, the culture of our whole world is all about power. It's all about big. It's all about, you know, people say, people say, are you, oh, you're, you're traveling to America. Are you going to Blythe? No, we go, are you going to the Big Apple? Are you going to where all the finances are? Are you going to Washington, D.C.? Um, are you, you know, we look for the big and the, but this is little tiny Bethlehem. And yet you're not forgotten. And so here's this wonderful, uh, we read this in Luke 2. We read it every single year and it's really wonderful. Boy, here's this promise. And now here comes with Jesus. Now, Micah, as a reminder, lives to about uh, 670 uh, before the common era or before Christ. So there's uh, hundreds of years before that passage that we see here that's written again in Luke happens. It's just a long wait, long time. Okay. So we get the distinguished in the, in the town, but also to know that, that that Bethlehem is mentioned in Ruth, chapter 1-2. Many of you have heard me speak time and time again that, that my mother-in-law is my Naomi. And uh, most folks are at least a little familiar with the book of Ruth, and she has a mother-in-law. And the famous words where you go, I will go, your God will be my God. And Lord forbid that anything happened between us. So in the book of Ruth, Bethlehem is mentioned. And Jesse, who comes from the line of Boaz and, and Ruth, is the father of David, and David becomes the king of Israel, the best king they ever had. He is really, really good. He's from Bethlehem, and who is he in the line of his brothers? He's the youngest. Being the youngest in my family, trust me, I never sat in the front seat of a car until I took driver training. Just the way it goes. There's only four of us. Anyone can relate with that being the youngest is like not, it's just like you're just, you're a nobody. But that's who God chose. He's a good example there. So out of a know-nothing city, one of the greatest kings of Israel ever came, King David. And yet he was the littlest, of the, he was the smallest, he was the youngest. Not in stature small, but in importance in the family. Because in the family, if the eldest son goes, and it's the next son, it's the next son, it's the next son. Okay, there we go. So then you have um, this town where David, being even the least of his, so you, you get that kind of importance that what, 
what is important to God is so different from the way that we look at it. And so don't let anyone tell you that you're not significant or you're not influenced or you're not called by God or you're not ever going to be used because it seems to me that the absolute least of the least are those who God uses the most. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Every single one of you are vital and important uh, to God into the way in which God's kingdom continues and brings good things. Okay. All right. So let's then go that um, there's a pause now in the good deliverance. So remember we saw the distress. You're going to get hit. You're going to be surrounded. They're going to take siege of you. You know, in chapter four, you're going into Babylon. It's all these kinds of things. And then you see this deliverance, but I'm sending one. And uh, I just want to make note, and um, the one who shall come forth for me this is God's plan. In Psalms 23, just an aside, but when we say um, God leads us in the paths of righteousness, why? For his name's sake. It's not about you, it's about who God is. It's about the integrity of God. It's about God's promises. It's about knowing that we're called to be the people of God and for who God is, for his namesake. And so for here, I'm bringing this forth for me because I am the God of the universe. I am your God and I will do what needs to be done for me because my plan is better than your plans. And my plan is about redemption. My plan is about caring for all people. My planet is about a salvation and a future and a hope. So he brings that in. All right, then. Then you have this, then he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth, then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. So you have this pause in there, that there's a time, even you have this distress, this deliverance, and then the distress is kind of still there. There's a season when people will once again suffer for a time. And then he uses the example of labor, which he also used in uh, chapter four. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> Scripture was read and studied by men. They knew it. Most of scripture was probably, there may be a couple places they kind of argued that there may be actually um, some female writers in the Old Testament. That's a great speculation. I can't prove that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but it's mostly written, you know, let's, I think we're safe to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by men. The examples are men. Men would study this. Men would know this. If there's one thing men have no clue, it's about labor. So I just think that's just hilarious, but that's what Micah does. They may have been hanging around, and I had um, three kids, and, um, and I have to say, once labor's over, you kind of do forget about that. In the midst of that, you're not sure if the pain is great or the pain you want to inflict on your husband while you're there is greater. <laughs> but um, what I have said to, um, and I said it yesterday at uh, La Costa Glen, and so for you online, because if, if you've had children, you get this here. What does it feel like to have, you know, be in labor pain? They want people to do that. And so I always say, take your lip, your upper lip, pull it out as far as you can till it absolute kills, and then try and put it over your head. Labor. So there is a time of suffering, but it's not forever. Am I not correct that once you hold that little baby in your arms, so quickly does that labor pain dissipate? Must be, because we keep having kids. But... Um, 
there you go. Okay, so the time, and there is a time limit. It's first described in, again, the Micah, the 4-9, and then you see it here. It will not last forever, but in the midst of it, it doesn't, it seems like it will last forever. But God is saying a promise, you will suffer, but it will not be forever. Hang on. Please hang on. Know that there is a season of this. And I've promised you that someone is coming that will guide my people. I will be there for my people. So then you go, verse 4, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And then verse, uh, just the next verse 5, and he shall be the one of peace that's related more with that verse, even though it says verse 5 there. So kind of 4 to that beginning of verse 5. I'll come back to verse 5. But the future is spoken about in an imagery of a shepherd that takes care of a flock. So I know that I've said this before, but just in case you weren't here last time, or if you were like me, your brain is intact, but somehow it leaks so we forget information. Shepherds in the Old Testament were highly valued. Kings were considered shepherds. They took care of their people. They took care of their flock. And shepherds are the ones, they have strength, they have power, they are courageous, they take care of their flock. It is their job to do that. We go back to Psalm 23. Shepherd, he'll take care of me. He'll come after me if I get lost, if I go astray. The Lord is my shepherd. So you have this imagery, and it's one of a shepherd who is standing, who is strong, who is powerful. And you see that imagery in there. And then the idea of because it is, this, this shepherd is so strong. And again, I have references on your sheet there from Ezekiel about uh, the one who rules, a shepherd who rules, and um, also associated with our Lord. Psalm 23 I mentioned, but also Isaiah uh, chapter 40. So the people, um, the, the Lord will be the Lord representing, rep, the Lord's representation and have influence on the ends of the earth. So again, I always kind of go back to Abraham. I'll do this again. But Abraham was promised to be a blessing, not only to those people that would be, you know, the family of God, his chosen people that would come out of that, but to the ends of the world, to all nations. And so here is that promise that the one who is coming will influence in a good way all nations and his strength and his power will be there. He will be like that strong leader, that ruler, that shepherd. And the people will dwell in peace. The people will dwell, they will sit, they will um, be um, secure so that they can abide. Now, before um, we had, it's almost like you don't want to mention the word pandemic because we're so, so, so tired of it. We're just waiting for February 15th, and then I'll recognize you all again when I come in and your face masks are off. But until that time, uh, we're in this sense of, of, of kind of waiting, and we don't get to dwell a whole lot with people. It's not that season, unless we're outside, then we can dwell, but we don't. You know, I used to sit down at dinner, you know, when you're with friends and your guests, and, and you dwell, and you sit, and you, you abide together, and that's the language used here. And that happens when you're at peace. Have you ever been somewhere, and you're supposed to, like, be dwelling, but your mind is going 15,000 other places, and you're having a hard time doing it because you're worried about other things going on? 
God is saying, the one who is coming will be in the presence of you and you will abide, you will be at peace. That shalom, that is a bigger word than what we know of peace, but the, the abiding, the dwelling, the sitting, the being together, okay? I like that verse. <laughs> okay. And, and he shall be the one of peace, that's that, that bridge that's really at the end of verse 4, but comes into verse 5. If Assyrians come into our land and tread upon our soul, we will raise against them seven shepherds and eight installed as rulers. And then six goes with that. They shall rule the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod with the drawn sword, and they shall rescue us from the Assyrians if they come into our land or tread within our border. Now, this is a kind of a fun part for me about scripture and history and stuff. The promise of peace is illustrated in the strength that God provides. And the number seven and eight, summer, the number seven is a complete number, perfect number. Uh, but not only do we have seven, seven shepherds, but we have eight, so it's like seven plus one, even more. The, the, the idea is, is that it is more than enough, that there is enough that we can conquer those who have conquered us, those who are taking us to Babylon, those who are going to take us out. And the language here, do you get this? Us. You see how Micah has turned to us in these two verses. It's going to go back over to a you soon and your, but right now it's us. And this is the strength that we will have, and we will have that, that bulwark, I guess is what I would call it, of strength with us, and we will be able to defend ourselves and be successful against those who would oppress us. Now, here's the fun story. Um, who's Nimrod? <laughs> and, who's, and what's with these Assyrians? So I just want to do a little trip down memory lane, if I may. And that is, if you went to Genesis chapter 10, now the first thing I want to tell you is up until the 12th chapter of Genesis, you have what is called prehistory. You actually have history outside of Bible that knows about Abraham. Prehistory is that when they were not writing things, it was simply the oral tradition, which is a very good oral tradition, by the way, but it's prehistory. And so you see a lot of, of what's going on and a lot of things that you see in hindsight, but it's not written the way that it begins in chapter 12 where the, even though they're recorded all along, there are histori historical markers from 12 forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm saying to you. Okay, great, thank you. Thank you, for, I'm just looking for people who are nodding at me because if you're going like that, I'm gonna look back for the, who is the nodding? Okay, all right, so here we go, guys. You had in chapter 10, um, Noah's great-grandson is mentioned. His name is Nimrod. And he is known, if you look at your little notes there, he was the first on earth to become a mighty warrior. Now, if you want to go and Google, it's really fun. You'll look at Nimrod and you'll see this like super, you know, like he did really well at 24-hour fitness. I mean, he is like really bulked out. He's, you know, really, really strong. He has that kind of rugged, rough. He's a, he's a great warrior. And he began to establish towns. Nineveh, the area of Syria, Assyria, 
And guess what? Babel. Now the Hebrew root word Babel is also translated Babylon. Now there is no place in scripture that tells you that Nimrod was in charge of the Tower of Babel. You might want to go there, but you can't prove that on scripture. So just say in scripture, interpret scripture. What we do know is that he was a very, very big warrior and he established a lot of places. And the Lord thought he was really great when he was uh, first there because he was establishing these places, but somehow Babylon, so when it says in the city of Nimrod, that would be Babel or Babylon. Even that we're going to take care of the Assyrians. So there is a sense that you have this connection that these were established, these places were established a very, very long time ago and God had protected them from them. Now they are kind of going to be in control. We know that for now, 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 but there is a time coming. Your deliverance is coming and we'll even take care of these folks. So just a, a bit of history. I thought that was kind of a fun, like who the heck is Nimrod? I, I ask those questions. I, I don't know about you, but I do. Okay. So um, you see the mention of that, and again, the language is used of comfort and of peace, because that's what's going to happen out of this. And then let's move to seven and nine. Then the remnant of Jacob, surrounded by many people. That's important to know, and we mentioned this again before. Whenever you say remnant, you think small, it's not. The important many people, that's really, really important, because Micah doesn't want people to think, there's going to be like a couple hundred of us left. No, many people. God is going to call his people back. He's going to take care of them. He's going to restore them, many, many people. And then it goes on to say in this great language, they shall be due from the Lord like showers on the grass which do not depend on people or wait for any mortal. And among the nations, a remnant of Jacob, again, the language surrounded by many peoples, shall be like a lion among the animals of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, through, treads down and tears in pieces with no one to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. So you have this language of both God providing you know, and um, it shall be like the dew from the Lord that, that when this happens, when you're restored, the dew from the Lord, this wonderful sense of being taken care of. So I left my car out foolishly last night, and so I go out there and I can't see anything because there's so much dew on my car. Dew on the, you know, that kind of, and, and we get that, that wonderful imagery there or showers that come there. You don't plan on the dew, folks. You don't plan on the showers. As much as we have weather people that are paid highly to guess at what's going to happen in our weather condition, we are dependent on that weather, but God is taking care of that. And so you're going to have, you're going to be taken care of. And then, so you see this wonderful image of these showers and this dew, but those, those who, who would come after you, it will be like a lion a young lion, that means a lion with a lot of strength and a lot of energy. I think of adolescence that you can't tie down. Um, they're gonna come in and ravish. So you have this kind of, 
the, these two things going on, that the people are no longer hunkered down, that the remnant, which is a lot of people, that there's a release for them, and the Lord is going to um, shower them and replenish the many people of Israel. But God will also be destroying adversaries. And the adversaries go beyond just the nations. It's anyone who's going against the will of God. And so you have this balance. And I always think, oh, God is such a loving God. God is such a loving God. And again, I go back to what I've told you before. And my friends go, I can't believe God would be so patient. <laughs> I think that of myself. <laughs> but thank you, thank you. you know, and yet, there are some that would go against. And here, it's like a lion. They're just going to come in and they just rip things apart. I mean, they don't go, well, I don't know. Am I hungry? Is it lunchtime? It's like they are ravenous and they are going into shred. And so you have this sense of, um, of also taking out those who would go against God and against God's people, those whom are called of God and who are coming to God and who are trusting God. And so you see that language of they are being cut off. Any of those adversaries, wherever they are, are being cut off. And that segues us into the last five difficult verses. Okay, are you with me? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Hi, it's fun to hear you guys speak out before you get to ask questions. Thank you. All right, here we go. So, then there's work to be done. Verses 10 through 15. This is future tense again. In that day, says the Lord. So in that day when things are coming together, when things are necessary, it is both in that day, but it is also a, a sense of a presence, a, both present and a future coming. And here's what's going to happen. And get ready. Because now it's about you. It's not about your adversaries. It's not about those who would come after you. It's about you and your behavior. And so Micah moves back from the us to the your and you. He uses the word your 10 times in this and you five times, it is clear that God is addressing the people of Jerusalem and the cities that are strongholds. Self-sufficiency, I mean, that's something we're known for, um, both as individuals and as a nation, and just who we are. We kind of, you know, we, we don't want to be dependent on anyone. We, interdependence is good, but we have a tendency to be incredibly self-sufficient. God wants us to be dependent on him. And our strength and our sufficiency comes from God, not from all those other things. So I just want to remind you again, where is the Messiah coming from? Where the least of these have been called out. And then God gives this warning. And here we go. In the days that the says the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. Now let me just pause right there. Um, and the Israel's 
when they were in captivity in Egypt, Egypt was known for their horses and for their chariots and for their power. The Romans were known for that. Horses were a sign of power. They were a sign of strength. They were a sign of we have arrived. And so uh, Israel had a tendency to also like those horses and, and just both, both in terms of collecting things, but also just literally. So it's both and. It's like having affluence, having those things, and horses were highly, highly valued. And they were the warriors, and they showed the chariots, and they showed the affluence of the people. And God said, I'm going to take those away. I'm going to cut those off from you because you think that's what makes you mighty and strong. And then he goes on, and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down your strongholds. So both the affluence, the, self, the self-sufficiency, and also the military power. And I think of David. I mean, I have to remember in David, and they're talking about, so I always say this like we're there, but you've studied, you guys are the you guys are in the word, so thank you. So <clears throat> they used to sing the song, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. It's like David as a warrior could do no wrong. I mean, he just went out full of the Holy Spirit because remember he said, don't let your spirit leave me, Lord. And he would, uh, he got distracted unfortunately, but he would go out and he would just get rid of those adversaries and God used him in the, in the way to do that. So there's a, a sense of of might and power, but it was from God, and that's the problem. They have collected enough. They have done enough. That's why they're so vexed that there's all this warning about being taken away and the two kingdoms are divided and all these difficulties that they're having because, doggone it, we've got a lot. (laughs) We, by the world standards, have arrived, and we have this mighty military in the cities, so the walled cities. I haven't yet been to Jerusalem. Uh, There's walls. Uh, around and that's how you would fortify with the walls and Jerusalem had this wall and so it was your stronghold and it was important and so the cities had these strongholds and and God is saying no I will cut off the cities of your land I'll take them out they're not you, you think you have strongholds that's not that's not going to last that's not that's not the um, just talking to Mary, that's not the sustainability. You think it is, it is not. And then he goes on, what else are they doing? I will cut off your sorcerers from your hand and you shall have no more soothsayers. So here's what began to happen. And in fact, let me just go on for the last um, verse 13 because they come together. And I will cut off your images and your pillars from among you and you shall bow down no more to the works of your hands. And I will uproot your sacred poles from among you and destroy your towns. All right, so here's, um, I'm not a cook. My husband um, is, but he's creative. Sometimes that works. Um, But I think sometimes when He's not going to watch this, but if you do watch this, Rick, I so appreciate that you cook and do these things. I'm really going to be in trouble. But every once in a while, he gets very, very creative with what he wants to put in the, you know, like he gets a little confused with savory and sweet, and savory and sweet are really good um, side by side, but not necessarily in the same mix. People do that with religion all the time. 
You have this purest of pure religion, and then they begin to add things to it. We're as guilty as they are. We call it different things, perhaps. But what they were starting to do, because they were greatly influenced, boy, by the time you get to Acts, it's unbelievable um, the amount of things that they were engaged with. And you look at many of the epistles, and they were still having trouble. Israel had trouble with the same thing. They would begin to add. They would get um, diviners or sorcerers or... I have a really hard time. I'm just going to be honest with horoscopes. Really, we want to waste our time on that. Um, and people go, oh, well, when were you born? Or you're under the sign. You're like, I'm under the sign of Jesus. That's kind of good for me. I don't want to add that to my religion. It may be fun. It may be interesting, clever. It may be um, some insights into that. But, you know, I'm not going to worship that. That's what they were starting to do. They were starting to bring that into their Jewish faith, and they were beginning to worship that. Not only that, but they were beginning to make idols. So one, what is, what is the second commandment? I'm pretty sure it's don't make any idols. This is it the second one, Ruth? Thank you very much. Um, no idols whatsoever. This is not new news. Don't make any idols. There's something about it that we, we kind of like to look at something. We kind of like to see it. We kind of like to visualize it. So they were making idols, but they were taking a lot of the gods and a lot of the cults and a lot of the other things, and those were the things that they were beginning to put into their worship practices. Now, wood had to do with trees and fertility, and iron had to do with strength and power, and so you had these, these images that they were beginning to make and that they were beginning to worship. Prostitution, especially cult prostitution, was uh, a big thing during that time, and they were very engaged in that. And so here's the warning. I'm cutting you off from that. You have confused the purest of pure faith that I've given you, and you've added it, kind of like a smorgasbord of faith. Um, and if I just, you know, if I just have all these little things together, one of them will be right. The only difficulty is, is that they tend to contradict one another. You know, a house divided falls. Our faith, when we're trying to live in two different worlds of that which we worship, it gets divided. And so God is going to cut them, cut that out of their lives. And just know, that, you know, it's painful. We're kind of back to the labor. Um, but I'm going to cut off, cut off that part of your life. And, I, and someone said, why are the poles important? Because they would put up things to look up to worship those items. So he's destroying all of those. That's what's coming because it has distracted you from the true worship of God. This is one I think that we relate with really well because we always have to check um, what, is it, what is it that we're called to do and we follow Jesus, how do we worship? Is our worship the kind of worship that's spoken about in scripture? Are we adding or taking away from that? Are we, are we a people who consider ourselves so self-sufficient, so powerful? We so far economically, so far because life is changing. Economically, we're still the number one economic uh, affluent nation of the world. Uh, Second place is so close behind that I think within a short time we'll be uh, rearranging that schedule. But that can harm us, even as Christians, to have the self-sufficiency. Uh, we have, and, and I appreciate our military. My husband is a uh, well-decorated veteran. We need that, but that's not who we worship. And that's not who we depend on. 
we depend on our Lord. So it's not about affluence or how much we have. It's not about um, possessions. It's not about even our own strength. It's not about adding those things into our faith, into our religion, which is that whole second part that either meets our needs, but probably, uh, or not probably, but very, very much uh, separates us and pulls us away from worshiping the one true God. And Micah's sending this warning. So he finishes this way. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. So now we're back to everybody again. That includes us. <laughs> we're back to everybody again. We're back to the, the people of God and we're back to those nations around that. I am the Lord your God and I have expectations for your own protection, for your own future, for your own hope. But I will. I will do what I need to do to call my people unto myself. Now, I'm going back again to parenting. Um, what would we do to protect our kids from evil? My poor kids, I, you know, if there's something I was good at, it was sleuthing. So if they wanted to go anywhere, I had to call the parents and make sure they were there. Um, if they, oh, it's movie night at so-and-so's house, what's the movie rated, who's going to be there? Um, they, they uh, I think despised me would be a good word for that. <clears throat> Corinna has, has said more than once, Mama, I don't know how you ever put up with me. And I thought to myself, I'm, I wasn't sure either at times. <laughs> when we love something, we're going to discipline it. And that may include both logical as well as penal consequences of that. There are things that happen when we do it we shouldn't do. But God also is a fierce God who loves us and will discipline us. And even though for a season there may be labor pains, they will not last forever because God is a God of redemption. And so Micah's warnings in here should be good news for us. Go back to verse 2. Go back to verse 2. We know the Jesus. Amen, amen. Questions? So I don't have a question, but as a midwife, just, this is just anecdotal. At some point in pregnancy, every woman is gripped with the inevitable, that this baby has to come out, and it's going to involve some pain on my part. And when you were talking about how we forget the pain and come back later, I can't tell you how many times I've heard women say, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is such a good word because, because several times God disciplines them and I can't help but their thinking. And that's why it's probably mentioned two or three times. Oh yeah, here we go again. Here we go again. Okay, let me pray us out of here. Lord, thank you for these ladies. Thank you for our time. I'm so grateful, Lord, to get to be with them. Thank you for those who are online. I pray that they would be blessed also, Lord. May your Holy Spirit continue to do a work in us. Change our lives, Lord. Oh, Lord, may we be more like you. Little, little Jesus people running around in obedience to your will and finding in that unspeakable joy. Amen. Bless you guys.